Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. You know, the word greatest is thrown around somewhat flippantly in our culture today. Uh, Here in Alabama, we like to talk about the greatest football team in the world. Which one is that? (laughs) I thought you were going to ask me that. It's somewhere between Auburn and Alabama. (laughs) Uh, Other people speak about, you know, the greatest movie stars or the greatest composers or the greatest rock band. But uh, P.T. Barnum used to talk about the circus as the greatest show in the world. But, uh, you know, Jesus reversed all of this, and he said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then become one of the least. The way up is down. Well, I'm speaking today here on the Beeson Podcast with a person who has lived out that paradigm in his own life and ministry. And if we can talk about someone being great in terms of an influence for God and for good and investing their life in a younger generation of preachers and teachers of God's Word, then I think that applies to my guest today, Dr. Haddon Robinson, who is the Harold John Ockengay Distinguished Professor of Preaching at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Haddon, it's a joy to welcome you back to Beeson Divinity School. Well, it's a delight to hear an introduction like that. I wish my wife could hear it. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. And I said come back because I didn't check my records, but you're probably the most uh, sought-after person we've ever had. You've been here probably more than anybody else to preach in our Beeson Pastor School, give our lectures on preaching. Uh, we just love you here. We love you because you magnify Christ, and there's something about you that's transparent and real. Well, it's nice to be loved (laughs) with all of the flaws. Now, tell us a little bit. uh, A lot of people don't know this. I happen to know it because I've talked with you before. You were born in New York City. Yes, I uh, was born in New York, grew up in New York, and uh, my mother died when I was a boy, so my father reared me. And we grew up in uh, a section of New York called Harlem, section of Harlem called Mousetown, uh, area that Reader's Digest said at the time was the toughest section in the United States. Hmm. If it wasn't, it was trying hard. <laughs> yeah, and how did you become a Christian? My uh, parents were believers, and um, in my uh, early teens, my cousin and I we're on a spiritual search. We were looking for a congregation that had a basketball team. <laughs> and we found it at the Broadway Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, then I discovered one of the awful lessons of life, and that is that every silver lining has a cloud. And that cloud was in order to play on the basketball team, you had to go to Sunday school three Sundays a month. And uh, that's when I came under the uh, influence of a man by the name of John Mygat. He was a Sunday school teacher. He uh, showed a love for the boys in his class a couple of ways. One was he taught an interesting Sunday school lesson. And then secondly, um, he, he sought us out. As far as I can remember, he was the... Uh, only person from our church that came to visit us because we were in a tough neighborhood. And uh, I remember one time I had uh, cracked my glasses and 
I didn't get them fixed because I was just too lazy to get them fixed. Mm -hmm. But John didn't know that. And after church one morning, he said to me, you know, uh, I've been saving so money to to buy a suit, but I don't need a suit. Well, here's, take this and get those glasses fixed. I didn't take the money, didn't need the money, but I was profoundly impressed that somebody would give up a suit mm. to help me get my glasses corrected. He was mm. that kind of man. Mm. A few years ago, I... Uh, I conducted his funeral, and the text I used was that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Yeah, yeah. Just as John the Baptist pointed people to Christ, John Mygat pointed me to Christ. What a wonderful story. Uh, in the 1950s, you were in Dallas, Texas, and involved in Youth for Christ. How did that all play out? We associate Youth for Christ with Billy Graham, of course. Did you know him in those days? <laughs> I met him. He held a meeting in the uh, Cotton Bowl, and I got to meet him after the service. But <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I di directed this Youth for Christ group. I suppose on Saturday nights we would have... Uh, 75 to 100 um, <laughs> and uh, I don't think Billy Graham was that eager to tell me to keep at it, stay with it uh, so uh, but I did for a while and, and it was a good experience uh, but I did it while I was going to seminary and uh, we didn't we were more like a young life club than a, mm -hmm. uh, a youth for Christ club. And did you go to Dallas Seminary? I did. Mm -hmm. I went to Dallas, and uh, we were there for uh, four years, and uh, and then I came back later and taught on the faculty. You were there for almost twenty years as a almost twenty years faculty member and teaching and preaching. And, of course, your great book, many of your great books, but the one that's been used in more than 120 seminaries around the world is on the subject of preaching, expositional preaching, biblical preaching, the development and delivery of expository messages. Uh, how did you get interested in preaching? Were, you were called to preach, and then how did you become a teacher of preaching? Well, um, when I was growing up, I, uh, I kept a diary. Well, that isn't true. I, I kept a diary for January every year. You know, I'd start it, and everybody else who had a diary had some marvelously significant things to say. But for me, it was got up, went to school, went to work, came home, did my homework, went to bed. Ditto, ditto, ditto. But um, years later, my father had gotten beat up by thugs in our area, and I had to bring him down to Dallas. And so when I was cleaning out his apartment, I was looking at some of those diaries. I'd forgotten about them. And on a January, on a Thursday night, evidently I had gone to First Baptist Church in New York and heard Dr. Harry Ironside. Oh. He was the uh, pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. And I mentioned that I'd heard... Ironside, and then I, I jotted down, some people preach for an hour, and it seems like 20 minutes, and 
others preach for 20 minutes it seems like an hour I wonder what the difference is <laughs> and uh, I've been always I've always been fascinated by that uh, when I was uh, in college on Friday nights I'd go up to the library and read books on preaching I didn't always know what I was reading but I read the Yale lectures on preaching and and so at the um, end of my time at Dallas, we didn't have any courses in preaching back then. Uh, it was classical theological education, which meant we didn't have Christian ed, we didn't have counseling, <laughs> you know, we didn't have anything in preaching. But um, in my senior year, uh, some of uh, my friends in the senior class asked me if I would uh, teach a course in, in preaching. Uh, talk about the blind leading the <laughs> blind. But I taught a class, I think it was every Thursday night, taught them everything I knew, taught them what I didn't know. I mean, you had to fill, <laughs> fill up the time. But um, it was from that that a few years later when uh, Dallas was looking for somebody to help teach preaching, uh, several of the faculty remembered that and uh, invited me to come. The truth is I was about the only one they could afford. Mm. <laughs> Those were not high days for Dallas. It's changed a lot. but I was a good investment, I would say. Yeah, well, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I went back. And I enjoyed it very much. I appreciated the opportunity. And uh, so that was um, yeah. how I got into it. Well, um, what is an expository sermon? Well, there's a lot of debate over that, but I think it's the uh, it's the proclamation of a biblical concept uh, that uh, I think the Spirit of God makes real in the life of the preacher and then through the preacher applies to the congregation. But the thing that singles it out is that uh, it opens up a text. It's uh, based on a biblical passage. And so you, uh, you try to open it up in such a way that it's uh, true to the literature. Uh, well, that is, if you're going to deal with a, a narrative passage, you have a narrative sermon. But so it reflects the, uh, the biblical passage in its uh, basic content, in its development in the literary structures. So it is that sense uh, a, a biblical sermon, and people who listen uh, can follow where you have been and where you've gotten your material. So uh, one way to say an expository sermon is one that follows the form, the genre of the biblical text, lifts it up, lets it shine, uh, and therefore uh, in that way it's, it's a textually driven sermon, though it may not be a word-for-word, line-for-line analysis of a particular text. Yes, uh, sometimes you go through it verse by verse by verse, but more likely if you take a larger section, you go through it thought by thought, and you try to open it up. Expository is to expose it so that people can say, oh yeah, I see what that means. You know, one of the things in the Reformation that uh, Calvin and Zwingli and some of the Reformers did was begin this reading and preaching through the Scripture, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. Uh, and, and many times that's equated with 
expository preaching today. Say a word about that. Well, sometimes an expositor does that. <laughs> Just the sheer act of having to preach every week. You often will uh, a preacher will go through a book or a section of a book, like um, the Sermon on the Mount, or, uh, Ten Commandments, uh, or go through a whole book, like the Book of Ruth, or the Book of Matthew. Um, that's done less often today because uh, if you announce to a congregation that for the next two years I'm going to be preaching through the book of Matthew, they don't jump up and applaud. <laughs> it's sort of an invitation to a lot of boredom. So many expositors will, say, take a book like Matthew. They'll preach the narratives of um, Jesus' birth, and then they'll back off a bit and then preach about the temptations. and Then they'll preach the Sermon on the Mount. So they actually do work through a book, but they don't advertise it as they used to in the days gone by. One of the things you've done, Haddon, in your ministry is to be a real leader in theological education. You're president of Denver Seminary, uh, president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary for an important period in the history of that uh, institution. How do you connect preaching and theological education? Or let me put it another way. What ought to be the role of preaching in theological education? Well, I think uh, preaching is one of the uh, turnstiles through which the uh, theological education that a young person gets or an older person is uh, is shuttled so that... uh, you study theology, you study uh, the languages, you study the New Testament, Old Testament. Um, but all of that has to be expressed. And so it seems to me um, that when a person preaches who has a theological education, he uses all of that to open up the Bible. You're here at the Beeson Pastor School, and our theme for this year is respite. How does a pastor find a time and a way for respite in their life? It's tough. (laughs) Um, I marvel at some pastors who are able to uh, carry on a ministry. Some of them preach Sunday morning, Sunday evening, (laughs) teach a Sunday school class. And I honestly don't know how they do it. But... um, if you uh, want to burn on instead of burning out, you've got to take time off. Uh, the people that I think do it well are very disciplined. They uh, build into their schedule a, a, a week of every quarter to be away. And they'll take a month, sometimes even two months, in the summertime in order to study, to rest, Mm -hmm. to reflect. Uh, Nothing significant comes out of your mouth unless something significant goes on in your head. and uh, You need that respite, that time back, Um, and then a time to do nothing, doing nothing. There's music and a rest in Mm -hmm. music, and there's Mm -hmm. there's, uh, some benefit to rest for a preacher. You know, that wonderful line from St. Augustine's Confessions, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So that 
coming to know God in some way, uh, that it, it, more than a surface, shallow relationship, more than a professional obligation, uh, but resting in, in God, resting in Jesus Christ, uh, that ought to be at the heart of what I think we're called to do as servants of Christ in a very busy and fragile and threatening world. And it's uh, difficult to do. Uh, I... Um I think that uh, many uh, people in the pastorate just go on and they start going on nervous energy and, and uh, they break down and, uh, and they're open to all kinds of seductive voices. And, uh, yeah, they, they need respite. Uh, Haddon, you, you're one of the people I have looked up to in my own life as a mentor and a friend. We've worked together in a number of ways across the years, and I'm very grateful for your ministry. Uh, as you think about the future of the evangelical church in particular, where we need to go under God to, to make the kind of witness we ought to in the 21st century, uh, what comes to your mind? Well, I suppose it's self-serving or something. Um, I am concerned that uh, there is relatively little biblical preaching today and uh, congregations are really not being taught, fed the Word of God. I'm also concerned that um, we are drawn to fads and... uh, Sometimes um, when I look at some of the books that come across my desk, mm. I, they are not uh, trust-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am concerned that um, our society is turning secular. It used to be that the church had the home field advantage. Uh, people looked up to and the church and to its values and they might say well, I, I can't do it but you know it's the church that has it that's good but that has changed and now uh, all of our games are away games we're playing on other teams court and that change is something that uh, I see having lived in New England for a while but I think it's coming across the whole country that what we could do in the past or what we could assume about people in the past can't do that today. And how we adjust to that is going to be a crucial part of anyone's ministry in the years to come. Well, on behalf of our listeners, uh, Dr. Haddon Robinson, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus Christ, for being such an encourager and a peacemaker in the Lord's vineyard. I think that's been true of you. And it's such an honor to have you with us again here at Beeson. God bless you. Thank you. I'm delighted to have had a chance to be here. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and support. Beeson Divinity School is an evangelical interdenominational divinity school training men and women for service in the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.